Farming in harmony with nature is never easy. There are lots of economic pressures pushing farmers to sacrifice the health of soil or water. But many small farmers in Taiwan still do their best to work in sync with the land. Today we meet a group of small farmers who have found some innovative ways to market their natural produce. They teamed up with a media expert to find new customers. A handful of dried fish mint. This customer swoons at the delightful smell. Nearby, bundles of white vermicelli noodles are firm favorites. I really think their products are a cut above. You can taste that they're different from the typical stuff on the market. A vast array of farm products is laid out here. They've been collected from local farms by the founder of the Farm Crafts Development Association. The products here boast ingredients grown with natural methods. They claim to be helping regenerate local ecology and to be good for consumers' health, as well as delicious. Coming back here, I noticed another new turning point, the lifestyles of our ancestors, the ways they adapted to nature. These are the only lifestyles that can allow us to really live sustainably alongside nature. Yu Mengfen gave up her old media career in Taipei three years ago to move back to her family home and care for her mother. She was inspired by the ecologically friendly and respectful farming she saw around her. But the farmers were struggling to market the produce, so she decided to put her media savvy to good use, getting the growers to form an association. Over five months, they renovated an old red brick building that had lain disused for years and turned it into a retail center for their produce. The energy you get or the feeling you get is very different when you give a lot or when you support a lot, especially when I see that they are being respected. When I can see in their faces that they feel they have a lot of worth, then, like a reflection, I also feel like I have a lot of worth. We took a stroll around the nearby herb garden and met this lady in her 80s. She's out here in the sun in her bamboo hat, growing natural produce. These farmers are finding new ways to market their harvest and to passion the grounded spirit that has served them for generations. In the mountains of Yilan, health care can be a tricky business. There are some remote villages where there is still no regular health care. But one team of doctors is determined to change that. Led by Dr. Huang Jiancai, the voluntary clinic travels to villages up and down Yilan, providing medical care to anyone who needs it. We spoke to Dr. Huang and met his patients as well as his former teacher, to find out more about his mission to bring medicine to the mountains. A doctor's car winds between paddy fields and the streets of country towns and finally arrives at the community center in Lushre village. <laughs> it's been turned into a medical center, today ringing with the sounds of laughter. Lots of folk have turned up to see the doctor specially. Most of the residents of Lushre are farmers, used to a life of hard work in the fields. Many have knee problems, some have liver disease and need long-term treatment or monitoring. Yilan County is so close to Taipei, but despite apparently simple transport links, some villages still have no medical provision. Many of these older adults have no reliable access to doctors, and that can mean they delay getting checkups. But the new voluntary clinic is a big improvement. 
In his black-rimmed glasses, Dr. Huang asks about his patient's health. Years ago, he opened a clinic in Ilan after graduation. One day, a patient came in with late-stage liver disease. They hadn't seen a doctor about it because they lived in a mountainous village with little medical services. That's when Huang realized how tough things were and decided to begin the voluntary clinic. I'm so grateful to the voluntary team of doctors, nurses, and volunteers who have come with me into these remote spots. At first, Huang was alone, with nothing but a junior doctor's bag and a stethoscope. Over time, more volunteers joined his team. Nine years later, the team has visited many country locations, winning awards from the Elan Doctors' Union, as well as the Keep Walking Prize, an award for charitable projects. Huang's teacher from university told us how proud he felt. As the saying goes, the student has surpassed the teacher. The Elan Doctors' Union has already awarded him the Doctor's Merit Prize seven times. He's given more than 30 years of his life to Elan. He really is an unbelievable young man. In the future, we want to establish the first remote voluntary clinic association in Elan so that we can reach any place that needs healthcare. No matter how high the mountain or how remote the lane, Dr. Huang's team is on a mission to care for everyone who needs it all across Elan. Over in New Taipei's Wanli district, crab season is in full swing. New Taipei Mayor Hoyo Yi visited the coastal town today for a taste of this delicious treasure of the sea. He says the crabs caught in the area are so delicious that the best way to enjoy them is steamed and minimally seasoned so as to get a true taste of the ocean. Let's hear from the mayor. There are several types of crab in Wanli, flower crab, three-spot swimming crab, and rock crab. Each of them has a distinct taste and texture. They are scrumptious. Crabs are signs of autumn. It's the season for crabs. I like all three kinds, but if I had to choose one only, I think I would opt for the three-spot swimming crab. At cooperating restaurants, you can scan a QR code to join the Wanli Crab Club and get a free drink and a side dish. You can also participate in our raffle, offering vouchers of up to 1,000 NT to spend on Wanli Crab restaurants on accommodation in the area. But more importantly, you can win a Wanli Crab alive and kicking. The city government has shot a promotional video together with the cheerleaders from the local baseball team to promote the delicacy. Wanli crabs contribute about one and a half billion NT to the local economy, both in the food and hospitality sectors. With a bountiful catch expected this season, officials call on seafood lovers to visit the area and enjoy the freshest crabs New Taipei has to offer. By using the latest technology, the Ministry of Education is making sure that children in rural areas can get a warm meal that's just as good as what their peers in the city eat. One of the technologies is an online platform that collects data through a variety of specially designed food thermometers. The system was developed in collaboration with a research center at National Zhengong University. It provides detailed data of every step of the process, from cooking the food, to transporting, to delivering the meals to schools around Taiwan. Uh, to ensure food safety, the Ministry of Education's plan uses two different thermometers to test the food's temperature. One has a long probe and is used to check for food doneness. 
The other, used during deliveries, has a shorter probe to prevent contamination when monitoring the temperature of the food. You have to take a temperature reading of the very center of the food, which is why the probe is pointed. That allows nutritionists or the people in charge of lunches to check the internal temperature of the meals to get a reading from the middle. Then there is this thermometer with a shorter probe. It's used after the food is cooked, as we wouldn't want anything to touch the meals and create a risk of contamination. During delivery, the meals are tracked with a GPS system. Data on the food's temperature and the location of the delivery van is updated every 30 seconds and uploaded to a smart platform. This allows school nutritionists to have a full grasp on the food's temperature, lowering any chances of food safety problems from arising. This ensures that the food is safe. The most important thing is that children in rural areas can also enjoy a piping hot meal. The Ministry of Education hopes that through its school lunch upgrade program, all students in Taiwan can get a tasty warm meal, no matter where they are. Vaccinations against the seasonal flu will roll out this Saturday for select groups, including people aged 65 and up and healthcare workers. Eligibility for the free government-funded shots will expand on November 1st to people aged 50 and up, as well as adults of any age with a chronic disease. Meanwhile, the CECC announced Wednesday that next-gen COVID shots will be available for more groups starting next Monday. They include frontline health workers, people aged 50 and up, and people who need to travel abroad for work. Health officials remind the public that to get the next-gen shot, at least 12 weeks must have passed since the previous COVID shot. They also remind the general public that the COVID vaccine can be administered at the same time as the flu vaccine, but they advise that the two be injected in different areas of the body. The 2022 Taiwan International Human Rights Film Festival opened on September 23rd at Spot Huashan Cinema and will run until November 20th. The festival features 11 local and foreign films that focus on human rights issues and museums. Our very own Stephanie Yang has the highlights. The 2022 Taiwan International Human Rights Film Festival is back. This year's opening film, titled Returning Seoul, follows the journey of a group of young Amis seeking to restore their connection with their ancestors. The documentaries re re revolve around the issue of whether we should have the pillar back to the village or it should be kept in a museum. And uh, for, of course, if the, if the pillar is kept in a museum, more people can see it and uh, researchers, scholars can, can um, ex extend the research on it. But then, like I said earlier, it's a, it's a subject, it's an it's a object for indigenous people. It's part of their culture, it's part of their history. Hello. For the first time this year, a feature-length film is being shown. The film titled Good Madam is set in post-apartheid South Africa. This year we have films that talk about um, apartheid in South Africa and how that trauma is like a ghost hunting over the years. And um, it's a thriller film 
the, the John Rawlings thriller film, and we hope that this film could also be a reference for a lot of contemporary directors where, um, in, uh, in which you know, we do see a lot of co contemporary feature films that deal with historical issues, and this film could be a reference for them to see how you can combine a very serious subject matter with a popular genre. The theme of this year's festival is The Power of the Museum, and is divided into two segments, Whose Museum Is It? and Human Rights Lens. Eleven works from Taiwan and abroad were selected. The film festival hopes to encourage people to reflect on human rights issues. So this year we echo the theme of the World Museum Day and the theme of this year is the power of the museum. For us, the selection and the display in the museum is never neutral. So it has to do with the history of colonialism and it's also about national identity. So we select films that deal with the, um, the issue of collections in relation to territory, national identity, cultural identity, as well as colonialism. And the other uh, major section is human rights lens. Uh, like before, we want to address the very important task of Human Rights Museum, which is the um, transitional justice. Throughout the festival, there will be talks, online workshops, an online film festival, and collaborative screenings. Collaborative screenings for selected films will be screened in 35 organizations and communities around Taiwan from October 15th until November 20th. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Li Yihan in Taipei. Premier Su Zhenchang went to Taoyuan International Airport on Wednesday to oversee the final preparations before Taiwan lifts a series of border restrictions on Thursday. Starting tomorrow, saliva PCR testing will no longer be mandatory for all arrivals. Instead, travelers will be given four rapid test kits to take with them and use if necessary. Also starting tomorrow, quarantiners will no longer be required to stay alone in one residence. That means they will be able to quarantine with other people at home as long as they each have a room of their own. Accompanied by CCC head Victor Wang and Transport Minister Wang Guocai, Premier Su Zhenchang is walked through the new arrival procedures for international travelers, which will take effect on Thursday. There will be major changes to preparations, crowd management, space allocation and labor distribution. I ask for frontline COVID workers at the gateway to Taiwan to hold fast and make sure every step of the process goes smoothly. The mandatory saliva tests will be removed, but passengers who present a fever will still be asked to do a saliva test. Starting Thursday, Taiwan will lift a series of COVID restrictions at Taiwan's borders. Travelers will no longer be asked to perform a mandatory saliva PCR test on arrival. Instead, they will be handed four rapid test kits to take with them. At the luggage carousel, signs inform travelers when to get tested. An infrared scanner detects passengers with fevers, who are then required to do a saliva PCR test at the airport and take a designated taxi to the quarantine site. Premier Su reiterated government plans to do away with travel quarantines as early as October 13th. Tomorrow, the executive yuan will listen to a report from the CECC. Only after a consensus is reached will the CECC announce the possible reopening of Taiwan's borders on October 13th. Premier Su inspected all COVID preparations, from quarantine arrangements to quarantine taxis, as Taiwan's international entry points get ready to reopen. 
Former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and President Tsai Ing-wen gave opening remarks at an annual business conference in Kaohsiung on Wednesday. In his address, Pompeo identified China as the real culprit behind regional threats. He also emphasized that the U.S. has come to recognize the risk associated with doing business with China, walking back its trade policy of several decades. On September 28th, President Tsai Ing-wen and former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo opened the annual conference of the World Taiwanese Chambers of Commerce held in Kaohsiung this year. Tsai thanked Pompeo for once again visiting Taiwan. I look forward for us to keep working together in the future, more opportunities for exchanges and cooperation between Taiwan and the U.S. On this occasion, I would like to express my gratitude to Taiwanese businesses for promoting our diplomacy and deepening other countries' knowledge on Taiwan. The occasion also coincided with the third day of Pompeo's Taiwan visit, during which he emphasized that threats to the region cannot be attributed to the U.S. nor to Taiwan. Rather, the Chinese Communist Party is culpable, he said. We've seen your president and others in your country here in Taiwan talk about basic rights to defend their own sovereignty and make decisions for themselves, and some in the global news and many from the Chinese propaganda machine will say, this is provocative, this is threatening. We should never forget who's threatening. It is not the great people of Taiwan. It is not the United States of America. Addressing the Taiwanese business community, Pompeo said the U.S. no longer encouraged its businesses to invest in China as it used to, large and attractive the Chinese market may be. Instead, he added that one must understand the risk posed by the CCP to the free world. For the past decades, has encouraged American business to invest inside of China to invest alongside the Chinese Communist Party. It was American policy for decades. It's no longer the case. We should all understand the risk associated with working alongside the Chinese Communist Party. The evening before, Pompeo attended a banquet held by the Kaohsiung city government. Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Qimai made a case for investing in Taiwan under a global restructuring of supply chains as a means to safeguard regional security. Democratic countries, apart from promoting democracy and collaborating on security issues, should construct an integrated global supply chain, which will be immensely helpful for Taiwan's security. After 30 hours in Kaohsiung, Pompeo went on to Tainan for more engagement with Taiwan's local business community.